Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The rest of you I want to invite to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. There, this is going to date me a little bit, but um, there was a song in the 80s that I hated really, really badly. And um, you probably don't like it either. Um, but it's that song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. It had the music video with Robin Williams. I don't think you, I don't know if you remember. I'm not going to sing it because Don't Worry, Be Happy. You know, our world is obsessed with seeking happiness. Don't worry, just be happy. I went to Google this past week, and I typed in the word happy, and it came up with 1.48 billion hits. I went to Amazon, typed in the word happy or happiness. Over 10,000 books with the title happy in it. I also found a weird website called the Happiness Research Institute. It helps you get in touch with your inner child so that you can learn techniques to be a happy person and to find that happy place within yourself. (laughs) According to the website, the Happiness Research Institute is an independent think tank exploring why societies are happier than others. The Happy Research Institute. Our nation was founded on the desire to be happy. We know what the Declaration of Independence says. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I'm not against the Declaration of Independence at all. It's our founding document. But in that document, it's this desire that we have as Americans to pursue happiness. Listen to some quotes from famous people about happiness. This is from President Franklin Roosevelt. Happiness lies in the joy of achievement and the thrill of creative effort. Mother Teresa said this, spread love everywhere you go. Let no one ever come to you without leaving happier. William James said this, action may not always bring happiness, but there's no happiness without action. I want you to remember that one today. Happiness. The pursuit of happiness. Don't worry, be happy. Everything's about being happy. Now when we think about happiness, we think about joy, we think about what it means to be happy, the world's definitions always fall short of what the Bible teaches us about true joy. We need to remind ourselves of something this morning. We live in a different kingdom. This is not our home. We are merely passing through to our eternal home. We are members of the kingdom of God. And God's kingdom works backwards than the way we often operate. God's kingdom is counterintuitive. God's kingdom is countercultural. God's kingdom is upside down. And so living in God's kingdom 
And at the same time, having one foot in the world, we often have to recalibrate ourselves to how things operate in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and when Jesus is king of the kingdom, our priorities, our desires, our pursuits, our ambitions, all of those things are under his lordship, and they are diametrically different than what the world pursues. So we're moving into a new section in the Gospel of Luke. If you remember from last week, Jesus chose the 12, the 12 apostles. And now he's going to preach a sermon. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what this sermon is. But we go into this sermon, oftentimes called the Beatitudes. So let's pick up in your Bible, right up where we left off last week in choosing the 12, Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. Starting in verse 17. And he came down with them, the twelve, coming down from the mountain after he chose them, and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, For so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is a sermon preached by Jesus. And in this sermon, he gives four blessings or beatitudes, followed by four woes or warnings. And then he goes on to continue preaching this message. And so I want to give a little bit of introductory material here before we actually dive into the question, is this the same sermon as the Sermon on the Mount? Okay, there's a lot of debate because the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. This says Jesus came to a level place. So is this the same sermon here in Luke that Jesus preached and is it the same place, same location? Is this just Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount? Now, let me give you my, my opinion. I don't think this is the exact same sermon in the exact same place that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. But I think it's the exact same material. Because think about it. We know that Jesus went throughout the countryside for three years preaching and teaching. I've preached the same sermon twice in two different locations. Same material, different audience, different locations. It's not beyond the pale to think that Jesus preached the same material just in different locations. So, in Matthew 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Here, we have what Kent Hughes has called the Sermon on the Level. 
Okay, this is the sermon on the level. Jesus is going to level with us. The sermon on the level. So I think it's a different sermon, different location than the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a lot of the same material. And so we're going to look at these issues related to the Beatitudes. So let me just give you some introductory issues related to the Beatitudes. And that first question is, what's a Beatitude? Well, it's just Latin for blessed. We'll talk about that in a moment. So three introductory issues before we jump into these blesseds are. And I think they're important. Here's the first. Jesus is addressing his disciples. That's key. Now, there are three audiences here that are listening to this sermon. You can see it right in the text. Verse 17, he came down with them. Who's the them? Okay, group number one is the 12, those, those original apostles. Okay, second group, a great crowd of his disciples. Okay, so there's another group, a large group of people who at that time had decided to follow Jesus as disciples. And there's the third group, the crowds, the multitudes. And so this is a public sermon that Jesus is preaching. And there are non-believers in the audience, the crowds. But this is a sermon to those who are his disciples. How do I know that? Well, how does he begin the sermon? Look at verse 29. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said. Lifting up his eyes on his disciples signifies a moment of seriousness where Jesus is focusing laser sharp on his followers, on believers, on those who are already in a saving relationship with Jesus. In other words, here's what we need to understand about the Beatitudes. These are not things that you and I must do in order to get saved or get into the kingdom. These are things that are already true of us who are already in the kingdom, who have already been saved. So let's just ask a question. What are the requirements to get into the kingdom? How do you get into a relationship with Jesus? Well, we've already seen it in the Gospel of Luke. It's repentance and faith. It's following Jesus in, in faith. You remember back to chapter 5? Peter, James, and John left everything and followed Jesus. They, they decided to follow Jesus. Levi, the tax collector, left his tax collecting booth and he followed Jesus in faith. So there are those who've already chosen to follow Jesus in repentance and faith. They are believers. This is who he's addressing. So the sermon here is addressed to those who are already in a relationship with Jesus. Now, it's going to be confusing because there's a mixed crowd there. And anytime Jesus begins to preach and he begins to say these things that are countercultural, uh, non-believers in the world doesn't quite understand what he's saying. Because the things that he says in this message are very countercultural. They're very foreign. What's he talking about? Blessed if you're poor. Blessed if you are mourning. Blessed if you're hungry. Blessed if you're persecuted. These don't quite make sense because these are exact opposite of what the world pursues. What does the world say? You're blessed if you're happy. You're blessed if you're rich. You're blessed if you have a good name. You're blessed if you're well off. What are you talking about, Jesus? This doesn't make sense. And so for us as kingdom people, as citizens of the kingdom, 
we have a new identity. We have new priorities. We have a whole new worldview as those that are living in the kingdom of God. So these Beatitudes, this sermon is not an evangelistic sermon to tell people how to get saved. There are lost people, there are unsaved people in the multitude there that Jesus is preaching at, but he's preaching to his disciples. He's preaching to believers. He's talking to those who are already in a relationship with him. He's saying, this is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is the the identity of what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what it means to live in the kingdom of God. So that's the first thing. It's, it's, it's addressed to believers, to his disciples. Second thing we need to understand. These beatitudes, and that's a weird word, attitudes, because we think about beatitudes. What attitude should I be? That's not really what the word is. It's, it's a Latin word for blessed, but we think about attitude. These are not personality traits that can be produced by sheer willpower. It's not talking about personality traits or attitudes here that just you can kind of produce in and of yourself. It's very dangerous teaching that sometimes creeps up in evangelical churches that says this, you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but once you're saved, the rest of it's up to you. You're sanctified, you grow by your own power. Yeah, you get in by grace, but once you get in, the rest of it's up to you to kind of figure out. Newsflash, you are saved by grace, you grow by grace, You're sanctified by grace. The whole Christian life is one of grace, where the Holy Spirit gives you the power to be able to live out your Christianity. So the Beatitudes here are things that God in His grace produces in you. You don't produce these. God does these in you. It's very similar to the fruit of the Spirit that we've been studying on Wednesday nights. These are things that the Holy Spirit produces in the believer. So these aren't personality traits that you can somehow kind of just produce in and of yourself out of your own willpower. These are traits, these are attributes, these are things that can only be said of you if the Holy Spirit is producing these in you by grace alone. They're characteristics of Christians that are supernatural in nature because the Spirit is producing them in you. So number one, they're addressed to believe this the sermon's addressed to believer addressed to believers. Number two, these are things that the Holy Spirit has to produce in you through grace. And number three, these are attributes for all Christians, all believers in Christ. Some people look at this list and they think, man, that's only for some a group of, of spiritual elite, super Christians who've arrived. This is a list for those that are on that next higher level of spiritual maturity. Now, here's the point. These are true of you whether you've been a Christian for five minutes or five years or 50 years. So these are things that are true of you if you are a believer. They're not something that you have to achieve as some super spiritual Christian. So we need to guard against seeing the Beatitudes as like a list of something that's for an elite group of special forces Christians that only a small elite group can can achieve. So the Beatitudes, this sermon, the blessings are addressed to believers It's something that the Holy Spirit has to produce in your heart as a result of grace. And it's for all Christians. All Christians have these to some extent.
So with that as the background, we're just going to focus in on verse 20, which is the first beatitude. And we're going to ask three questions this morning. First question, what does it mean to be blessed? Second question, what does it mean to be poor? Third question, what does it mean to have the kingdom of God? Okay, so let's just read the verse. Because those three questions right there. Okay. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and says, Blessed are you. Okay, so first question, what does it mean to be blessed? Blessed are you who are poor. Second question, what does it mean to be poor? For yours is the kingdom of God. Third question, what is the kingdom of God? So question one, what does it truly mean to be blessed? Why does Jesus say, blessed are you? Blessed are you. Now, that's where we get the word beatitude. It's Latin for blessed. Blessed. It's kind of a generic word in Christianity, blessed. We, we kind of throw it around. If, if you were to sneeze, what would I say to you? God bless you. Or if you're in the South and you, act kind of, and, you, know, and you want to kind of say something negative about somebody, but you do it in a positive way, bless, bless their heart. You say something like that. <laughs> we say, God bless America. When you don't really know how to pray, what do you say? God bless so-and-so. We just kind of throw this word around. It's kind of like a Christian word, bless. I want to bless you. Blessed. What does it really mean to be blessed? Well, some translations, which are interesting, translate that Greek word happy. Happy are you. Now, I don't particularly like that translation because happy is a weird word. Okay? Happy is based upon circumstances. And if those circumstances don't go your way, you're not happy. Don't worry, just be happy. Okay, so you've got tickets to the Broncos game. You're on the 50-yard line, and they're winning. They're, they're beating the Raiders. You're happy. And all of a sudden, a blizzard comes. It's 20 below zero, and they lose off a field goal at the last second and lose to the Raiders. Are you happy anymore? Okay. At the first part of the game, you were happy, if you're a Broncos fan or a football fan, I guess. Towards the end of the game, you're not happy because it's based upon circumstances. Now, when Jesus here says blessed, it's not a feeling that fluctuates. It's a state of being. It's a position. It's a condition. It's your identity. Really, it could be something like, because of God's sovereign grace upon your life, you are highly blessed. Blessed are you. Now, the closest thing I can find to this whole idea of being blessed is what Dave read in our call to worship this morning from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, is about the closest thing I can find to what, what it really means to be blessed. Because Paul says this in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Okay, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then chapter 1, verse 3 through actually 14 of Ephesians chapter 1 is one long sentence in the Greek text, and it lists all of these different blessings of what it means to have a relationship with Christ. But let's just continue reading. Every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which 
which he has blessed us. So really what Jesus is saying here is very similar to what Paul's saying. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing because of God's sovereign grace in your life that he showered upon you. And because you're in this position of being blessed, you are in God's grip, you're in God's favor, you're in God's grace. Not because you earned it or because you did anything to get in, it's simply because God chose to show you that grace. And so what Jesus is doing here as the king of the kingdom, he's pronouncing these blessings upon us. Not things that we have to do to get into a relationship with him, but things that he and his grace is going to do in our lives because we are all already in a relationship with him. And it's very interesting that Jesus does not begin the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Level or the Sermon, whatever we're calling it. He doesn't begin with things that you have to do. You don't find any commands here. He starts with identity. He starts with your position. He starts with who you are. And that's where the gospel always starts. The gospel always starts with who you are in Christ, what Jesus has done. And then once you understand that, then you can understand how to live the Christian life. But if you get those things backwards, you're always wondering what you must do in order to earn favor with God. And that's backwards. It's what has God done for you who can't earn his favor. He's blessed you. So when Jesus says blessed, he's saying you are a recipient of God's sovereign grace and you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not happiness based upon your feelings. It's a, it's a position of being secure in God's grace and his blessing upon your life because of grace. So that's the first thing. What does it mean to be blessed? To have God's sovereign grace in your life. Okay, question number two. Blessed are you. Congratulations to you. It's a wonderful thing to be in God's grace for you who are poor. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. So let's ask the second question. What does it truly mean to be poor? I often thought if Hollywood were to script this, or Madison Avenue were to script this, or Washington, D.C. were to script this, Wall Street were to script this. If they, if, if they were to preach the Beatitudes, here's, here's what they would say. Here's how they would translate this verse. Blessed are the rich, for theirs is the kingdom of this world. Blessed are the rich, for theirs is the kingdom of this world. What does Jesus say? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So what does it mean to be poor? Is he talking about financial issues here? Is he saying, hey, it's a good thing for you to not have any money? Is that what he's talking about here? No, the word poor in the original language, it originally meant to cower like a beggar, to cringe or to cower like a beggar. What it really means and what Jesus is saying is to be spiritually bankrupt to be spiritually destitute, to have nothing. It's so countercultural to be helpless and hopeless and to that to be called blessed. 
Jesus is basically saying, blessed are you when you're spiritually bankrupt, when you're hopeless, when you're helpless, when you have nothing to offer me, you're spiritually blessed. It's counterintuitive. Because we want to somehow contribute, we want to earn, we want to somehow add something to the equation. And so what does our world value? A lot of P words, power, prestige, popularity. Pride. Another football analogy. I know some of you have stopped watching football altogether, and that's a totally other, other conversation for a different time. But you know what kind of drives me crazy about football? Okay, when, when somebody tackles somebody or somebody gets a touchdown, what do they do? They celebrate like it's the best thing ever. I'm like, dude, you're getting paid like 20 million bucks to tackle somebody. So don't get all excited about it. That's your job. I scored a touchdown. And like, there's so much like excitement and pride and, and drawing attention to themselves when they, they do a dance in the end zone. And they get paid millions of dollars to do that and act like it's like something like, like I, I can't believe I actually did this. Well, dude, you're getting paid millions of dollars to do this. So just calm down and accept the fact that this is your job. Movie stars, athletes, everybody wants the spotlight. Everybody wants the, the lights to shine upon them. And it's actually crept into the church. I mean, there's, there's this um, celebrity pastor movement. There's a lot of pastors that want to be in the, in the limelight. They, they want to have book deals. They want to have the conference gig. They want it to be all about them. Being poor in spirit, Jesus says here, is basically this. You have an overwhelming sense of your nothingness without Jesus. An overwhelming sense of your nothingness. Now, let's go back and see how Jesus preached this before. Remember the first sermon he preached? So go back a few chapters. Go back to chapter 4. How did he start his ministry? What was the first words out of Jesus' mouth when he started his ministry back in his hometown of Nazareth, back in chapter 4? So go back to chapter 4, verse 18. What does Jesus say when he's reading the scroll of Isaiah 66? Okay, so Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to the covering of sight, to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, he's not talking about financial poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. I'm here to preach that the Holy Spirit's anointed me to preach good news to those who are spiritually poor, to those who have nothing to offer, to those who are spiritually bankrupt, to those who are hopeless and helpless without Jesus. Okay, let's see again where Jesus addresses this. Go to, Matt, go to, go to Luke chapter 5. Remember at the, at the end of his conversation with the Pharisees after Levi, the tax collector, trusts Jesus and follows him and then throws a banquet and then the Pharisees are all hot and bothered because all these sinners are showing up. All these helpless, hopeless, hellbound nobodies are showing up. And what does Jesus say in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 31? Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The sick, the sinner, the helpless, the hopeless. Martin Lloyd-Jones defines it this way. He says, it's just this tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness as we come face to face with God. 
Now, we need to be careful here. It does not mean that we're worthless because we have been created in the image of God. But what it does mean is that we truly understand the pit and depth and depravity from which God has saved us. We understand who we used to be without Jesus. And how does Paul describe what we used to be? We were rebels who lived under his wrath and slave to our sin. Titus 3.3 3. For we ourselves were once, were once, before we were saved, we were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. See, here's what it means to be poor. You've come to the realization that you are hopeless and helpless and hellbound without Jesus. And all you can do is cast yourself at his mercy because you have nothing to offer him. You have nothing to bring to the table. You are nothing without Jesus. You are spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus says, that's the one who's truly blessed. When you know you are nothing without Jesus, that's when you're truly blessed. How does Jesus address the church in Laodicea in Revelation? It's the last of the seven churches. Revelation 3.17, Jesus tells this church, For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I don't need anything. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I've got it all together. I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I don't need anything. See, here's what it means to be poor. Blessed are you when you're poor. It means this. The Holy Spirit has produced within you an overwhelming sense of humility. An overwhelming sense of your position before a holy God of humility. It means we're honest with ourselves. It means we don't hide. We don't pretend. We're humble. Dwayne, our elder, read this earlier during our time of confession. Actually, no, later on he does that. This is a different Isaiah passage. Isaiah 64, 6. We've all become like, like one who's unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Even our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. So, one of the chief hallmarks of a person who's in the kingdom of God one of the chief hallmarks of being blessed is humility. An overwhelming sense of your nothingness without Jesus. Think about the people in the Bible who had this humility. Remember Moses? What happened to, to Moses when God called him and said, Hey, I want you to go down to Egypt and I want you to deliver the Israelites out and I want you to confront Pharaoh. What did Moses say? Who am I? That, that I would go. Remember what John the Baptist said in John 3, 27? John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given for him from heaven. Everything you have is because God chose to give it to you. And then just three verses later, in John three thirty, he says this, 
He must increase, I must decrease. That's what it means to be blessed are the ones who are poor. Jesus is increasing, I'm decreasing. Moses was humble when God called him. Think about David. When God told David that he was going to create a kingly empire through his lineage and build for him a kingdom and build for him a house, what did David say? Who am I that you would do such a thing for me? Who am I? I'm nothing. Moses said, God, I'm nothing. Why would you choose me? David said, I'm nothing. Why would you choose me? Remember the tax collector in Luke 18? The Pharisees over there praying and talking about all of his, his accomplishments in Luke 18.13, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me. I don't deserve anything. Paul himself. Paul calls himself the chiefest of sinners and the least of the apostles. 1 Timothy 1.15-16, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost, I'm the worst. I'm number one on the list of of bad, terrible sinners. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me is the worst, the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You're blessed when you come to the point of understanding that you are hopeless and helpless and hell bound without Jesus. You're spiritually bankrupt and you have nothing to offer him. All you can do is cast yourself at his mercy to save you. And here's the beauty of the gospel. What did Jesus do? Jesus left the riches of heaven to come and be poor, to be obedient unto death on a cross so that we might be spiritually rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, although he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. It's not talking about money there. Jesus left the glories of heaven to come live as a servant and die and rise again, so that you and I, who are poverty-stricken in our sin, might become spiritually rich, might become blessed might have the favor of God on our lives. We sang it earlier in the lyrics to the old hymn, Rock of Ages Ring So True, some of my favorite lyrics. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Nothing in my hands I bring, That's what it means to be poor. Nothing in my hands I bring. Jesus, I can't bring you anything. I can't offer you anything. I'm spiritually bankrupt. bankrupt. All I can do is simply to your cross I cling. All I can do is cling to your cross. All I can do is put all my trust in you, Jesus. Psalm 34, 18 through 19. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers them out of them all. The Lord's near to those who are poor in spirit. Isaiah 66, 2, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word.
Question number one, what does it mean to be blessed? It means you're a recipient of God's sovereign grace. Every spiritual blessing is yours because the king of the kingdom has given them to you and his name is Jesus. What does it mean to be poor? It means that you have an overwhelming sense of your spiritual poverty and bankruptcy before a holy God and you have nothing to offer Jesus in yourself. All you can do is just trust in Christ and he gives you his salvation as a free gift because you've acknowledged that you are helpless. But what's the promise? What does Jesus say? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So let's ask the third question. What does it mean to possess the kingdom of God? Does this merely mean that we get to go to heaven when we die? Well, yes. But I want you to notice the grammar there. What verb tense is it? Yours is. Present tense. Yours is right now. The kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't say one day you will have the kingdom of God or one day yours will be the kingdom of God, which is true, but he's saying right now yours is the kingdom of God, which means, again, he's talking to believers, those that are already in a relationship with him. But here's the tension. This is a tough tension we live in as Christians. We live in the already and the not yet. Do we already have a home in heaven? Yes. Are we there yet? No. Do we have right now the kingdom of God? Yes. Has Jesus established his kingdom ultimately yet? No. So we live in this tension. And so we experience the joy of our salvation now by possessing the kingdom, but we still await that final day when Jesus will establish his ultimate kingdom. He sets up his eternal kingdom. 2 Peter 3.13 says this, According to his promises, we're waiting. What are we waiting for? New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, the ultimate kingdom of God. Now, as we live in this fallen world, as we live in a world of chaos and craziness, and who knows who's going to be president and elections and COVID and, and all the wacky things, those of us that are living in 2020, and thankfully it's almost over, And we'll be in 2021, and we'll look back and say that was the wackiest, craziest, most despicable, evil, crazy year ever on record in my lifetime. We can claim the promise right here. Okay, yes, but yours is the kingdom of God. We are living in the kingdom of God right now. He's delivered us into his kingdom. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. Jesus is preaching this sermon. It's not some just detached preacher giving some moral platitudes. Who's preaching this sermon? Jesus. He's the king of the kingdom. He is giving us the kingdom. Now, now is it fully realized? No, not until the new heavens and the new earth, not until the ultimate kingdom, but he says to these disciples and to us, yours is the kingdom of God. Now, we need to understand something about the kingdom of God. We merely receive the kingdom as a gift of grace. I hear a lot of strange language that Christians use about the kingdom of God. We're building the kingdom of God. We're advancing the kingdom of God. We're growing the kingdom of God. No, you don't. 
That's the king of the kingdom's responsibility. Jesus builds his kingdom. Jesus builds his church. Jesus advances his kingdom. Jesus plans, programs, accomplishes his kingdom. We don't do that. All we do is receive it as a gift of grace. Jesus is responsible for advancing his kingdom. Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God gives us the kingdom as a gift of grace. We receive it. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving. There's the word again. Receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The kingdom was already announced in Luke. Gabriel announced it to Mary before she had Jesus. Luke 1, 32-33. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel says to Mary, your son's going to be the king of the kingdom. It's going to be an eternal kingdom. There will be no end to the kingdom. He will rule and reign in this kingdom. And what does Jesus say here in this sermon? Yours is the kingdom. I'm giving you the kingdom. I'm the king of the kingdom. All right, let's go back and look at Luke 4.43. What was Jesus' main message? We have a recorded sermon here, but let's go back to Luke 4.43. What does Jesus say in Luke 4.43? He said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. What does Jesus say? I must, I was sent, I have a divine obligation to go preach the good news of the kingdom of God. So what is the good news of the kingdom of God? Why is it good news? It's good news because Jesus says, blessed are you when you're poor. So by God's sovereign grace, if you've come to the point where you realize you're nothing without Jesus, you're spiritually poverty-stricken, you're bankrupt, you're hopeless, you're helpless, you're hell-bound, and you cast yourself at Jesus' mercy, you cast yourself at the King of the King, the King of the Kingdom to save you, when you trust in Jesus and you say, I have nothing to offer you, Jesus, I'm spiritually bankrupt, what does He give you? Yours is the kingdom. You've got the kingdom. You've got all the spiritual blessings that the king can give to you right now and the promise of that kingdom in the future. Jesus takes us out of the depths of our sin and he puts us in his kingdom, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of his protection. So no matter what rages around us, we're in his kingdom now with the promise that there will ultimately be the kingdom at the end of the age. So what does it truly mean to be blessed? Let's go back and read the the first beatitude again. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Are you truly poor in spirit? 
Do you see your absolute need for a Savior, the King of the kingdom? Do you see your righteousness, your good deeds as filthy rags? If you do, cast yourself at Jesus to save you. I want you to remember one thing as we leave here today. Just the words of that that song. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. We bring nothing to Jesus. We have nothing to offer. We are hopeless. We're helpless. We're bankrupt. We're hellbound. We have nothing to offer. The one thing we can do is we can cling to his cross. And what's the promise? Yours is the kingdom of God. Every spiritual blessing, every joy is yours now with the promise of eternal life in the future. So will we all this week be a people with the attitude that nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I claim. So let's bow in worship. Let's bow in prayer. We are thankful that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessing. And if we ever doubt your love or we ever doubt that, help us to always remember that you chose us, that you saved us, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, that you've totally forgiven us of all of our sins, that you've purchased a home for us in heaven, that you give us grace upon grace. Lord, there are so many things you've blessed us with. Help us to be poor in spirit. Help us to know that we have nothing to offer. Help us to be people of humility, people of brokenness, people of contrition. Lord, shatter any pride that we might have, any self-sufficiency that we might have, any sense of entitlement that we might have to think that somehow we deserve something because of whatever we've done. Lord, shatter all of that and remind us that we're blessed when we're poor and that ours is the kingdom of God. That you rule and reign over a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the kingdom that we are receiving. Lord, no matter what goes on in our world, as, as COVID rages, as, as politics rage, as, 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 as everything is raging in our world, and it's raging, help us to remember that ours is the kingdom and you're the king of the kingdom. And you're still on your throne. You've never stepped down from your throne, Jesus. You're on your throne, and one day you will come back in power and glory. And until that day, that day of the final consummation establishment of your ultimate kingdom, we wait with hope. We wait with joy. We wait with confidence. We wait as those blessed by being poor because we know Jesus you've given us the kingdom of God let us be thankful let us be joyful this week nothing in our hands we bring simply to your cross we claim and we ask this in Jesus name amen amen if you are here this morning and you